This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When you wake up, you open your eyes, you say, whoa, I just woke up to this bright light in my eye. You know, or, or, whoa, I just woke up to whatever you wake up to. Anyway, you wake up, say, see, they woke up to life. They see life. In Christ, we shall wake up to see everlasting life. We should not just see it. We shall wake up to everlasting life. Imagine, imagine this, you're waking up to everlasting life. Imagine that. Waking up to see nothing dead. Waking up to see nothing dying. Waking up to see nothing deteriorating. Waking up to seeing everything alive and prospering. No decay, no sickness, no hobbling around, no cancer, no diabetes, no heart failure. I'm reading off the list of my ailments. No hospitals, no graves, no funeral homes, every plant green and vibrant, every person with perfect eyesight, no glasses. Can't see anything now. No limping along, no walkers, Gene. No, every person like a child laughing and playing and smiling and no tears. That's what verse two is talking about when it says, wake up to everlasting life. But that's not all we wake up to. That's not all, that's not, that's not all those who are written in the book wake up to. Because there's another verse, Psalm 17, 15, Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. David said his life was like being guided every step of the way. I don't know where to go. God says, go here. I don't have direction. God says, I'll give you direction. That's David's life. He's just guided 
and he's got the Bible, and the Bible is his constant autopilot, constantly changing the helm, changing the tiller of the boat, constantly redirecting it. A wind, when you sail, when you sail, or when you're a powerboat, especially when you sail, and you know, you, the, you, you're constantly, the, the current is moving your boat, and the wind is shifting, and you, you just, you just got to always be changing that tiller to, to because you're getting pushed off course all the time. And God's the way, that's the way it is in life. You're getting pushed off course all the time. And God says, I'm going to give you the Bible here. It's your compass. And you use that to change the course of your tiller there so you get back on track. And this is the way it was for God, I mean, for David. This is the way it was for David. David, 70, Psalm 73, 24. Psalm 73, 24. David says to God, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And afterward, Received, received me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God's the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, David is saying, I'm going through life. I'm getting this. I got this. Oh, see that Bathsheba on the roof. Oh, way off course here. God says, you know, get that tiller back over here. Okay, we straighten that out. You go, you know, many things. Oh, married all these wives. Get that tiller back on my All that David had a lot of problems. I don't even want to go through them all. He had a lot of problems. He had a lot of problems. But one thing he did have, he had the Bible and he had his hand on the tiller. So when he saw he was off course, he adjusted that course with his tiller. That's what repentance is all about. The Lord Jesus Christ is our, our unseen friend that, that the, the more we do this, then the more we say, oh, he just helped me. He corrected my course. He told me how to correct my course, and I got it straightened out. Because, and then we say, you know, uh, I went through that experience. You know, I, I kind of love him a little bit more now. I kinda, he's kind of a little bit sweeter. Here's how the hymn says: The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven. My heart overflows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Every need he is supplying, plenteous grace he bestows. Every day my way gets brighter. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he goes, sweeter he grows. That's what life is in Christ. That's what it's all about. It's not that we don't sin. It's not that we don't fall. It's not that it's that we get up and we see and we move the tiller and get the boat pointed in the right direction to Lord Jesus Christ so that it becomes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the thirst will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's a development. It's a development. It's a development of our lives, but more importantly, it's a development of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, where the longer we serve him the, the, and trust him, the sweeter he grows till the most burning passion we have is to see his face. We just want to see his face, it, 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 his face. That's what David is talking about when he says in Psalm 17, 15, Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I shall behold thy face in righteousness, and I'll be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. It reminds me of the time when Cheryl and I were in the Rodin Museum, the Museum of the Rodin Sculptures, and we were one of the few museums, uh, we were one of the few guests that were allowed to stay in that museum 
while they brought in a special group of people and they, they didn't allow the people to come in, the special group of people to come in, and these people were all blind. They were blind. And we thought, oh, this is gonna be more interesting than the museum. We're gonna sit here and look at all these blind people. And so they brought in this special group of blind people and they were let them in there to experience the Rodin sculptures. And the museum removed all the cords, you know, the barricade cords that didn't let you get up to those. They removed all the barriers there that kept you away from touching the Rodin masterpieces. And so, as Cheryl and I, we sat there, and it was so interesting. We just watched these blind people, and they would come up to each sculpture. And you know the first thing they did when they came up to the sculpture? They put their hands on the faces of the sculpture, and they felt every part of that face. The eyebrows, the nose, the eyes, the, the cheeks, the mouth. Until they they had, and as they did, they smiled. They smiled. They got to know the sculptures by the face from their hands. That's a picture of what it's going to be like when we are awake from death. We want to see Jesus. We want to look into his face because, because we'll be looking into the face of our friend who never abandoned us in life. We'll be looking in the face of, uh, and, we'll, and we'll say, at last has come. I always, I, I sung the hymn, someday life's journey will be o'er, and I shall reach the distant shore. I'll sing while entering into heaven's door. Jesus led me all the way. And like another hymn puts it so well, if I never walk upon those streets of purest gold, if I never sit beside the crystal sea, if I never see that mansion prepared to be my final home, I want to see Jesus, because he died for me, to look into those eyes of mercy that watch over me when I stray. You know, Fanny Crosby was blind as an infant, as blind as an infant, and she never saw before. She was blind, but she was glad that she was blind because she said when she died, she's going to wake up to see the face of Jesus, and nothing else is going to be in her way. And she wrote a hymn, My Savior, first of all. And it goes, When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and his smile will be the first to welcome me. See, those who die in Christ are going to wake up from sleep to see the face of Jesus and it's that face that's described in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God, of the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the face that J Jacob saw that changed everything when he saw that face, the face of Jehovah Jesus, when he saw the face of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, he said, and he looked in his face and, and he said to him, what's your name? And he says, Jacob. He says, no, no more. Now it's Israel. That's what happened in Genesis 32, 27. Genesis 32, 27. He said unto him, what's thy name? He said, Jacob. He said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And then verse 30, verse 30, Genesis 32, 30. Genesis 32, 30. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is saved. He said, you saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and Jacob's life was saved, 
And that's what kept Job going. You say, Job, where is the fuel in the tank, in your tank that keeps you going? You should have given up long ago with all your suffering. Your children were killed. Your wealth was taken away. Your wife turned against you. Your friends are miserable comforters. Why do you keep going and your body is so deteriorating? You're scraping the sores off of you with broken pieces of pottery. You stink from the, from the rotting flesh that's on you. You don't have anything, Job. What keeps you going? Your own wife said, curse God and die already. What keeps you going? And Job looked at his body and he says, you're right. My kidneys are deteriorating. You're right. Worms are actually eating my rotting flesh, but it all doesn't matter because I know one thing in Job 19.25, Job 19.25, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, and yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold, not another, though my kidneys be consumed within me. This is Job saying, I am dying, but it doesn't matter because my Redeemer lives. This is Job saying, I'm gonna fall from this earth, but it doesn't matter because my Redeemer's gonna stand on this earth. This is Job saying, worms are eating the flesh of my rotting skin right now, but he says, it's all gonna be restored. My eyesight's gonna be restored. And he says, and then I'm gonna see my Redeemer. And that's what keeps me going. In that statement, he's saying, this is what's going to happen to me, Job is saying. This is what's going to happen to me when I wake up from death. I'm going to see the face of Jesus. And when we die, we wake up to everlasting life, as it says in Daniel. We wake up to the face of Jesus. But when we, all, when we fall asleep in death, we're going to wake up to do something. Do something, Don in the prophet Isaiah said, we're gonna do this, Isaiah 26, 19. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body, shall they arise, awake, and sing. Gonna sing. Ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast off the dead. This is waking up to sing. Sing, sing, I mean sing. We're waking up to everlasting life, we're waking up to the face of Jesus, we're going to wake up to sing. And when we see the Lord Jesus, our heart is going to be so overjoyed with him, we're going to start to sing. We're going to sing. You know, Revelation 5.8, Revelation 5.8, when he had taken the book, the four elders, 420 elders, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials of odors, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign forever. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels around about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, thousands, thousands, saying with a loud voice, we already read it, worthy is the lamb that was slain. They're gonna sing that song. They, as a song of worship, it's called the new song. The old songs, they're great, but one problem with the old songs is that sometimes they can just get a little too old and we got just kind of caught up with just the tune and the words just don't grab us anymore like they used to. 
well, there's a new song we're going to sing in heaven, and it's got new words, and it's fresh, and it's going to grab us. But then there's the other group. There's the other group of people. They also do wake up. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as soul annihilation. No. Everyone wakes up. Why? Because of Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto men, all men, once to die, and after that, the judgment. All the rest who are not found written in the book of life, they wake up, but not to everlasting life. They wake up to something else that's everlasting. They wake up to two, two, two everlasting states. The first state is everlasting shame. It says, that's what the verse says. They wake up to everlasting shame, the shame of, oh, no. What have I done? As in the shame when Israel realizes that they rejected their Messiah from Psalm 22, 16. Psalm 22, 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. Zechariah 12, 10, Zechariah 12, 10. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and be bitterness for him. It's the shame of, oh no, what have I done? Oh no, what could I have done? That's the shame of it all. And then, then, then there's the state of everlasting contempt. When a person rejects God's gift of salvation, Jesus Christ, then the greatness of judgment is determined by the greatness of the gift that was rejected. In this case, it's the greatest gift imaginable, the gift of God himself dying for a man's sins. There can be no greater gift than that. There can be no greater contempt for the rejecter than that. There's no such thing as purgatory. Forget about it. There's never any temporary time of punishment for rejecting Christ. It's eternal. That's why it says in verse 2, in verse 2 it says, everlasting contempt. And because the judgment is so great, that makes one work for the saved to do. Very important. This is the work for every child of God who is left on the earth, and it's verse three, verse three. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This is where the saved are not happy to just live out the rest of their lives in safety and security. You've got missionary letters. We have missionary letters today. Those people are not living out the rest of their days of safety and security. They're not living out isolated, insulated from the lost. And this is where the saved make themselves aware of the everlasting shame. They make themselves aware of the everlasting contempt of God for the rejectors of Christ. And this knowledge of how long is everlasting shame this knowledge of how strong is everlasting God's contempt for the rejectors of his son, Jesus Christ, it so moves the saved that they become persuaders. Persuaders, 2 Corinthians 5.11, 2 Corinthians 5.11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We don't just tell the lost about Christ. We don't just pray for the lost. We persuade them with whatever it takes to turn the lost to righteousness. That righteousness is not them doing good works to become righteousness, because when it comes to our own righteousness, the Bible is crystal clear. Isaiah 64, 6, Isaiah 64, 6, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as the leaf, as our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There's none that calleth upon me upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us. It's not righteousness of personal works, good works. 
It's an imputed righteousness a, from believing into Christ, which Abraham did when he believed in God. Abraham did that in Genesis 15.5. Genesis 15.5, God said, he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward the heaven, tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said, so shall thy seed be. And Abraham and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. This is a righteousness that is not our own. It is a righteousness of 1 Corinthians 1.30, 1 Corinthians 1.30. Of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us righteousness. Only God can make Christ to become our righteousness. But this he does when we get so close to Christ, so close to Christ, so close to Christ that we are in Christ. And when that word, and when that happens, then there's a Hebrew word that's used for imputed, hashav. Hashav comes into play. Literally, hashav means to weave, to weave, weave. So in Genesis 15:6, Genesis 15:6, he believed in the Lord and he hashaved. God wove righteousness into Abraham. This is what God does when a person is in Christ. He weaves the beauty of Christ's righteousness into the fabric of the soul of the person. And that's what's meant by 1 Corinthians 1.30. Of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made, hashab, woven unto us righteousness. This is the wisdom of the saved, to accept the calling of God to be his ambassadors. That's the wisdom. That's what it means here in Daniel. Be wise and accept your calling, the calling of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. See, that's new to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, but have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in God's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Any man that's in Christ is a new creature and all things have become new. New status reconciled to God. New title ambassadors for Christ. New burden and passion for the lost to transfer from the group that are heading from shame and, and everlasting contempt to transfer to the other these for everlasting life. New goal to get the lost reconciled to God. New message to proclaim Christ was made the sin offering that we can be made the righteousness of God. And the wise person accepts all these new title, burden, goal, message, just as they that be wise shall shine as a brightness of the firmament and that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, for making it so clear to us, Lord, that there's two groups. There's nothing in between. There's a black, there's a white, there's no gray. And Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to accept the calling. Lord, you'd help anybody who's not here to know, know if his name is written in the book of life. And if it's not, 
do something about it before it's too late. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.